This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Each week, you'll hear a portion of a work in progress and have a chance to interact with the author and other readers on the author's blog, posing questions, answering questions from the author, and hopefully having a lot of fun. Are you ready? Let's begin. Episode 13 At the end of Episode 12, Morris the Vampire stunned Ash by announcing he wanted her to stay with him, become a vampire, and fulfill prophecy. She ran, of course, and just as he was about to catch her, steps away from the waterfall over the entrance to the cavern, Fang returned and fought Morris and was bitten. Ash grabbed the unconscious Fang and leaped into the waterfall. The pool at the base of the waterfall slammed into her, like hitting the paving stones of the great hall. Now Ash knew what it was like to be one of the rare, shattered glass goblets Lady Beatrice had wept over. She couldn't breathe, which was good because she was over her head and didn't know which way was up. Swim! Kick! Don't give up now! The ring shouted in her head, repeating the instructions until they finally made sense. Fortunately, Ash's body obeyed before her mind understood. When her head broke the surface, many lengths away from the point where the waterfall pounded into the pool, she almost didn't know what to do with the air, gasping, sputtering, then groaning with the aching through her entire body. She nearly let herself go back down and under. Something heavy pulled down on her arms. Fang. She still managed to hold on to Fang. That's it, the ring said his voice soothing inside her aching head. Kick, hold on to him, just a little further. There, now you can put your feet down. Feet? Ash sputtered and kicked a little. Why was thinking so hard? Testing, she stretched out her aching legs, half afraid she would find them broken. Her feet touched something solid. She pushed up, blinked water out of her eyes. Daylight, she gasped, laughing at the relief spilling through her though she couldn't quite remember why it was so vitally important to see daylight. Just a step further away was the edge of the pond. She lifted Fang with protesting arms and shoved him onto the rocks and moss, then stretched her arms out and put her head down, holding on and catching her breath. Get out of the water now, you little idiot! Irritation stirred her when nothing else could penetrate the daze that made her want to just lie there and let everything fade away. Ash clawed awkwardly at the stones and pushed with her feet and nearly let her pack slide off her shoulder before she remembered what it was. It was so heavy. It's full of water. Get out of the water and empty it out, the ring told her. That made sense. At least she thought it did. Finally, Ash was completely out of the water, on her hands and knees, the pack lying beside her and a stream spilling out of the opening at the top. She could barely hold herself up on one arm so she could wipe her hair out of her face. There, that was better. Being able to see did make a difference. She struggled to her feet, then nearly toppled over again when she bent, at the ring's urging, to pick up Fang. Some of the water had drained out of his fur, so he was a little easier to pick up. She sobbed with the effort and clutched him to her chest and began the slow, staggering walk away from the pond. Not exactly sure where she was heading— or where she should go, except that she knew she had to stay out of shadows. She had to stay in the daylight. 
That was where she would be safe. The smell of smoldering fur penetrated the haze that had wrapped around Ash's mind for the last few hours. She turned her head and winced. Every muscle and every bone in her body ached. She wanted to just sit perfectly still, but sitting hurt because even her bottom was bruised. She thought she should laugh at the ridiculousness of that, but the thought of laughing hurt, and she was afraid to inhale and find her ribs cracked and her chest full of bruises. She feared opening her eyes. Her finger hurt especially. Good, you're awake. Sorry, the ring said. She remembered she was getting extremely tired of the ring saying he was sorry. You really do need to get up and do something. Fang needs your help. Hmm? What? Thump. Something big and hard whacked against her leg. Ow! Her eyes opened and she twisted aside. Amazingly, that bit of movement didn't hurt as bad as she feared. It still hurt and she toppled over on her side. That did hurt, but now she was eye to eye with Fang. The bunny scowled at her. Smoke slowly wreathed around his fur. As it thickened in the air between them, his scowl turned to surprise, then to something she supposed was fear. Ash took a deep breath. Yes, that hurt as much as she had feared. She choked and coughed. That hurt, too. She pushed with her arms, trying to sit up and get out of the smoke. Where was the smoke coming from? Fang, you're on fire! He's not burning, technically. And there are no flames, but... I'm very sorry, Lady Ashlyn, but it seems your bunny is at least partially vampire now. What do you mean, partially? Somehow, she struggled to her feet and stared down at Fang, who flopped limply from one side to the other, visibly attempting to stop the smoke. Or was that steam? Whatever it was, stop it from coming out of his fur. He's not going to burst into flames on contact with the sun, the ring said. But he's going to be miserable. I imagine it's worse than sunburn, especially under all that fur. You could try covering him. Yes, of course. Ash bent, groaning, and dug through her pack until she found her cloak. It was sopping wet, and she winced at the thought of all her other possessions still dripping wet inside that pack. She pulled it out and shook it, snapping water out of it. Some of the shower landed on Fang. At least the drops didn't hiss on contact. His eyes widened in momentary relief. A long, sighing whimper escaped him when she spread the wet cloak over him. He smiled and closed his eyes, just as the cloak completely hid him from sight. Ash went to her knees and gingerly settled down where apparently she had been sleeping for several hours, long enough for the sun to climb up straight overhead and shine down into the little clearing surrounded by bushes. Now what do we do? Common sense says to avoid people who will automatically assume you are a vampire because you are accompanied by a bunny who is a vampire, the ring responded, after a quiet long enough that Ash was on the verge of falling asleep again. She was a little surprised when she thought about it, that she might sleep with all her aches and the pinching hot emptiness of her stomach. Right now, she wouldn't have minded some mushrooms or that spicy moss Morris kept insisting she would enjoy once she got used to the furry feeling in her mouth. Morris. She had to get as far away from the waterfall as she could. Just how fast could he travel when night came? Could he transform into something with wings and chase her? How desperate was he to make her stay with him forever? When had he decided he adored her and wanted her to transform into a nightborn and be his queen? 
from the first moment he heard her admit she had magic in her blood? Or was it when they had laughed over some of the more ridiculous stories people told about vampires? Lady Ashlyn, please don't call me that. Don't put ideas in anyone's head, especially mine. She moaned and leaned forward and hid her face in her hands. I was just going to assure you that you don't have to be afraid of Fang. He won't try to drain you in the middle of the night, although I do believe his teeth are longer and have moved further apart. He likes you, and now that both of you have saved each other to some degree or another, he will risk his life for you. There's all that complicated code of honor the bunny clans hold to. He won't abandon you. Meaning... You're telling me not to be afraid and try to abandon him? No, not for anything. A chirping sound came from under her cloak. The sprawling lump that was Fang rose, and she choked on a chuckle, seeing it creeping slowly across the mousy ground toward her. So, Fang, what are we going to do? Is there any way of, I don't know, curing him? Is there a cure? Since he's only partially transferred, I should think so. How can he be only partially? She shuddered, reliving that moment when Fang had sunk his teeth into Morris to defend her. Then Morris's entire head had shifted. His teeth had grown. He had become something huge and capable of biting Fang's head off. But he hadn't. Ash played with the idea that would have been better for the bunny, who now seemed condemned to skulk in shadows to avoid smelling of scorched wet fur during the day and itching with sunburn. All right, she said, thinking aloud. The same magic that allowed Fang to partially transform also, what, stopped him from completely transforming? Or are some of those ridiculous stories Morris was laughing at true, and Fang has to be buried with all the proper rituals for the transformation to complete? I shouldn't think so, the ring said. At least I hope not. It's very confusing. Morris all but admitted that much of the false lore about vampires is the fault of the vampires themselves, to spread misdirection and make the fearful and vindictive waste time and rituals and defensive things like holy water, to give vampires time to flee for their lives. I think until we can find a magical library with reliable information, books that are spelled to only allow the truth to be recorded, we should simply avoid the entire subject of vampires. So how do we move about in the daylight? I need to put several countries between me and Morris. He's going to follow me, isn't he? At least try to get me to come back? Oh, I'm afraid so. He's rather pitiable. I think he... Well, he's smitten with you. That's the last thing I need. A lovelorn vampire on my trail. She covered her eyes and leaned back and considered banging her head against the stump until she woke herself out of this truly frustrating confusing, frightening dream. Please, please, let this all be a bad dream? A fever dream? Fang attempted to move about with her cloak covering him. It kept snagging on roots and low branches. Ash dug through her pack, pulling out everything to inspect it for damage from the water. She ended up turning it inside out, because the outside was drier than the inside. She spread everything out in the sunlight while she worked on adjusting her largest shirt to cover Fang. He looked rather cuddly. She knew better than to say adorable, especially after Morris had proclaimed that he adored her. But he looked cute, with the shirt draping him, so the tip of his nose peeped out on the tips of his claws, and the hem of the shirt puddled around him on the ground when he sat still. His ears were the problem. 
They kept popping up and pulling the makeshift hood off his head. Finally, the ring suggested they cut holes in the hood and use the remnants of the sleeves of the shirt to make tubes to cover his ears. By that time, most of her belongings were dry enough to go back into the pack. Ash turned it inside in again and repacked. The last of her dried fruit had vanished into the empty pit of her stomach. She had been relieved when Fang gobbled down his share without hesitating. There was that lingering fear he might try to snack on her, despite the ring's assurances. The dry bread had crumbled into inedible mush when the sack filled with water. The sweets had melted into a sticky lump that she had tossed aside. Fortunately, the journal's blaze had given her had been wrapped up tight in something apparently water-resistant, so none of the paper and leather and carbon sticks had gotten in the least wet. Ash made a promise to herself. Once they had found a safe place to stay, she would write down a brief record of everything that had happened to them since they emerged above ground in Nordwell. Where are we, anyway? she asked. The ring had been busy all this time, studying the maps Blaz had given them, deciphering information, trying to make sense of the blurred and smeared ink. The maps had not been made of spelled material and had gotten rather soggy. Ash had spread them out to dry in the sunshine. So much of the cavern network wasn't noted on the maps, meaning no one has been able to explore it and report to anyone, the ring said. However... Judging by the glimpse of the last of the stars when we emerged at dawn, and the sense of time currents as we were traveling underground, I believe we are in Inderwale. It's west of Nordwell. That's good. If the soldiers don't think to head west to look for us, if we're lucky, they've written us off as lost. Well, you and Fang, drained of blood, starting to rot to feed the cave creatures. They never did figure out I was there. They're kind of stupid if you think about it, she said. I'm clearly a servant, so why didn't anyone question why I would be wearing a ring made of gold and silver and ebony? Far too expensive to belong to me. Hmm, yes. Actually, only those with magic in their blood would be able to see through the glamour that Camwell orders all the rings to wear once we're on someone's finger. It wouldn't do for someone to see us and try to take us. And when they can't take us, can't make you take us off, resort to cutting off fingers. Ouch! Ash winced at the mental image. Does that happen often? Far too often. The ugly, unfair fact of the matter is that the spell to keep us from being removed until the assigned quest is finished means that we'll just pop out and pop back in again on another finger. Some thieves and other folk aren't very bright. They see that bit of magic and are even more determined to possess us, so they, well, they keep cutting. All right, that's more than I wanted to know. She busied herself neatly arranging the maps together and trying to put them back in their original creases, then back into the nearly dry folder Blaz had stored them in when he gave them to her, as she had done many times over the last two hours. While trying to get Fang decently covered and her few possessions dried, she tipped her head back to study the sky. We need to get moving, put a few hours between us and Morris, and keep moving once it gets dark. Or find a well-lit place to stay, with sturdy locks on the doors and sturdy shutters on the windows. Wouldn't that be lovely? Fang, are you ready to go? Ash pulled herself to her feet, swallowing down a groan. Maybe once she got moving, the aches would fade. She certainly felt like a hundred-year-old granny who sat huddled by the fire for days on end. The bunny came hopping out of the underbrush, with several sticks clutched in his mouth. 
Enormous clusters of nearly ripe raspberries hung from the ends of the sticks. He fluttered his lashes at her and dropped the sticks. For me? Tears touched her eyes as he bobbed his head rapidly and hopped away. Thank you. Ash snatched up the sticks, carefully put them in her satchel, and slung it across her chest, leaving the top flap open. She muffled another groan as she slung her much lighter pack over her shoulder. She had fastened the cloak to the outside to allow it to keep drying and also keep it handy if Fang started to steam and smolder again once they left the shelter of the trees and got out on the road. And we're off. She ate the berries slowly, waiting until the taste of one had faded from her tongue, then took a long drink of water from Blaz's magic flask before she ate another. It wasn't as nearly as satisfying a trick as she had hoped, but it was comforting to be able to crunch each one and feel the juice trickle down her throat. She put the last two in her mouth and tossed away the last of the sticks after she stepped out onto the road, a real road, of crushed stone and signs of recent repairs. No huge ruts dug in the mud and puddles wide enough to be called a small pond. She wasn't sure what this said about the state of maintenance in the kingdom of Inderwale, or the politics, or the wealth of the people. She wasn't even sure if it was safe to travel a road, but it would eventually get her to a town, and doors with locks on them, and maybe a knife or spear she could borrow for her self-defense. And she wouldn't have to fight her way through brambles and underbrush. That would save her time and energy. Ash took three steps, and the echoing thud-crash stomp of Fang somewhere nearby didn't follow. She looked back at the place in the trees where she had emerged, no sign of him. She looked ahead. No fang leaping ahead of her, enjoying the freedom to bounce high without hitting branches. She looked back. Fang sat on the edge of the packed stone, ears slowly bobbing forward as if they might touch the road in a few more bobs. His teeth were definitely farther apart than they had been yesterday. At least they didn't have those red stains that had gotten them both in trouble with the soldiers back in Nordwell. She thought she saw some dirt smeared on her reed-made shirt, and his teeth, and a few crumbles falling from between his claws. It's all right, she said, even though she suspected their situation was far from it. We'll be able to hear people coming from a long ways off, and you can duck into the trees to hide. When night comes, you can take off that shirt and finally move freely and... She shrugged. Well, we'll figure that out when the time comes. Just, we're in this together, right? Fang bobbed his ears a little faster, and he nodded. He hopped up next to her, and she started walking again. She almost wished she hadn't stopped for those few seconds, because her knees and ankles protested moving again. Fang kept pace with her for several minutes, then he leaped ahead, bouncing higher. If she was any judge from her view of his backside, he seemed to be in better spirits. It must be nice to find some joy in just bouncing, she muttered. I have been contemplating your question of what we can do. If we can reverse the transformation, the ring announced. It would take quite a bit of very strong magic, wouldn't it? And the help of a very wise, talented enchanter. Maybe several. Indeed. And access to a vast library filled with magical books. How vast? She thought of Blaz's shelves and piles of books. Enough books that the combined magic stored in them makes them awaken, makes them aware, the ring sighed. And possibly dangerous. The only thing more cranky than a magic book that isn't allowed to nap is a magic book that has napped too long, to the point of being neglected, allowed to go to dust on the edges, to go wild. Where could we find that many magic books? 
And if they're awake and aware, would they be willing to help us? If we ask politely, and if we give them a challenge, I should think turning a rather crazy bunny back from half-vampire would be a challenge worth bragging about. Ash hoped the ring was right. The idea of books being aware enough to not only help create transformative magic, but want to brag about it, rather boggled her imagination. But where would we find that many books? Perhaps over the ocean, the ring said. That wasn't encouraging at all, but she chose not to say that. They had enough challenges to meet right now. She chose not to waste energy and give herself a headache by worrying about things they wouldn't have to face for days, weeks, months, hopefully not years. She walked, trusting Fang to warn her of problems and dangers ahead of them. Every time he bounced away out of sight, around a bend in the road, hidden by the trees that clung close to the sides of the road, and he didn't come back after two minutes, she worried. Her pace sped up. Then when he appeared, she took a few gulps of air, always chagrined to find she had been holding her breath. Her steps slowed to a more reasonable, energy-conserving pace. Fang looked back at her, waving his ears in that pattern she chose to interpret as his all's well signal. Then he would bound away, out of sight, sometimes bouncing so high she could see him above the tops of the trees. That proved to be amusing, most of the time, until he vanished utterly from sight and sound. Somewhere late in the afternoon, she grew tired enough that she didn't pay attention to her surroundings. Maybe that wasn't wise, but that was what Fang and the Ring were for, weren't they? To help her? Guard her? Warn her? She was doing all the hard work, after all. Dealing with Fang's problems, being half-vampire. Doing all the walking. Carrying the ring. Fulfilling that wretched Justiciar's foolish quest that certainly seemed to be inspired more by his curiosity than by anything she had actually done wrong. That thought swirled around in her head a few dozen times before she did something about it. Do you have any idea what Lathia has been doing? The ring chuckled. Is that good news for me? The silly girl hasn't gotten to the border of Alfordia yet. Has she realized that her ring can talk to her? It's not a matter of realizing. It's a matter of letting the ring speak. My dear friend is quite peeved with me and jealous that I was assigned to you. Lathia talks constantly to herself if she can't get someone with visible ears to listen, whining, complaining, and daydreaming about sweets and finding a magic to clear up her spotty skin and make her thin, and jealousy of her sister, and finding it totally unfair that she can't be thin and having boys drool over her like they do over Lena, and even more unfair that to look like her sister she has to be active and ride horses and get exercise and fresh air and give up constantly filling her face with sweets. Ash laughed. Her ribs didn't hurt even a tenth as much as they had that morning, and her stiffness and bruises had faded. Why hasn't she gotten out of the country yet? Oh, they wasted quite a bit of time searching the castle for you. Lathia insists that since this whole mess is your fault, you owe it to her to be her servant. And the servants her father assigned to help her on the quest were even more determined to find you. The ring heard them plotting the night we left, to find you and drug you, sneak you out of the castle, then claim you had fled. They would set off with Lathia, and when they got to the place where they had left you tied up, they would drug both of you and make their escape, so when the two of you woke, you would be burdened with each other. Thank you, Hazel and Fang. Indeed, the ring said, laughing with the ring, and imagining Lathia's consternation and frustration proved to be energizing. 
Ash looked around and was startled to see the sun's upper rim perched on the tops of the trees, where the road curved to the right ahead of her, and still no sign of a town or even a farm, no shelter for the night. How soon until Morris could leave the cavern and come looking for her? Please, please, Athiosius, make him despise me just enough to give up? Make him leave me alone? Something huge crashed among the trees to her right. The shadows were thick enough she could only make out movement, low along the ground, but not what the thing was. Fang? She turned, looking in all directions, even though common sense said she should be looking ahead, not behind, and certainly not in the trees on either side of the road. Where could he be? She put her hand on her belt knife. While the blade was a good, handy size, it felt pitifully small to face whatever that big, lumpy, dark shape was, bumping and squirming through the shadows toward her. Maybe she should run? Or would that thing prove to have a thousand legs, like the many disgusting night-dwelling creatures in the cavern, and be able to race with the speed of light once it hit the even surface of the road? The ring chuckled. That was getting almost as irritating as having him say he was sorry. There he is, and I believe he has found dinner. The ring was right. He was right often enough, and especially now, Ash decided she could forgive him for when he was irritating. And that's the end of episode 13. What do you think Fang found for dinner? It's got to be something big, since he's dragging it through the woods instead of hopping. What kind of trouble do you think Fang is going to make for Ash as they continue journeying and they have to deal with him being half-vampire? How soon do you think they'll find the books, or maybe an enchanter, or someone powerful enough to transform Fang back from partially vampire to entirely bunny? If you've read any of the Na stories in the anthologies published by Yield Dragon Books, you might know the answer to that question. That's a question that will be answered later in the book and in the next episode. Come back next week for episode 14 as Ash continues traveling, looking for answers, trying to find shelter, wondering if Morris is going to catch up with her, and dealing with the problem of a manic half-vampire bunny as her traveling companion. <laughs>